It doesn't take much these days to find yourself in real and a very present danger. Just a couple of days ago, millions of Americans took to the stores and um, and uh, braved the uh, the dangers of Walmart and Target and Best Buy um, so that they could save thirty nine dollars on a camera or ninety nine dollars on a TV or find a curling iron for two ninety nine. I mean, it was well worth it, wasn't it? Okay. In fact, in Los Angeles. There was a woman who was standing in line. There were 20 people in front of her in line to get a, uh, an Xbox. And she pulled out pepper spray and sprayed the eyes of the people in front of her, jumped to the front of the line, grabbed it, somehow got through the checkout, paid for a purchase, and was gone before anybody could do anything about it. I'm not kidding. In San Francisco, a man and his family were walking out of a store, and, and a guy shows up with a gun and says, you know, give me those bags and... And he said no. And he shot him. And then took the bags and, and, and ran away. Um, in Hilton Head, South Carolina, two women were coming out of a, out of a store. Man with a gun. They were smarter than the guy. And in San Francisco, they gave him the packages and, and he ran away and left. I mean, it's scary out there, isn't it? On, on CNN on Friday, there was this psychologist um, who, who was talking about it. And he, he sort of blamed the retailers. He said... Um, he said they're creating a hyper-competitive uh, behavior among shoppers who are desperate because of the poor economy. He said the store shouldn't be psyching customers up so much and using all sorts of psychological tactics to get them to feed into this desperation and competitive spirit. Maybe he's right. But I got to wondering, is bad economy really a good reason to shoot somebody or to pepper spray them? I mean, do we really, is this really the excuse? That, I mean, is, is that fair? Is it legitimate? Rob someone at gunpoint in order to get an Xbox? Well, maybe this is one time, you know. After all, it is a bad economy, you know. No, I mean it was just crazy, isn't it? And and then I thought about, you know, me. I, I don't do Black Friday shopping just because I don't think saving a hundred dollars is worth giving up sleep. You know, it, it's so precious and few to get. So you know, I, I wouldn't give it up. But I mean, most of us try to avoid it because we don't want to get between a rabid shopper and her Xbox. I mean, we're we're fearful of these sort of things. You ever see these stories and wonder whatever happened to decency and civility and common sense? Ever, ever occur to you? You're looking through the stories or maybe in the... Whatever happened to decency? I was watching a show on TV the other day. It was called The Walking Dead. It's a, um, it's a series on AMC. It's about zombies. Oh. And if you like zombie movies, like I, I like me a good zombie movie, you know, and, and this is a series that has all the elements of, of a good zombie movie. It's this incredible fun. Um, and, um, and the people who are the humans, um, like all zombie movies, they're allowed to kill the zombies because they're not really human, you know. And so you, you, you kind of understand that this is a legitimate thing. Uh, and uh, they're mostly dead, the zombies are. They're, they only look alive. Uh, they, 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 lack, they lack reason. They lack, um, they lack emotional empathy. They, they, lack, uh, they lack all the sort of things that make a person living. They, they just want to, you know, to attack the living people and, and turn them into zombies. But like all zombie movies, this one has the safe place. You know, have you ever noticed the theme in zombie movies? There's always the safe place. You know, it's this city far away. Well, you know, it's Fort Benning, Georgia, or it's, it's Jacksonville, Florida. It's never Cleveland, Ohio. I don't know why, but it never is. You know, they're always going somewhere where there's this safe place. And, and, and always there's another theme in the movie that, you know, that someone, they're being chased. You know, it's a small group of people they're being chased. And, and someone, they just want to give up. 
you know, I, I just can't take it any longer. You know, I, I just, I'm so tired of running. You remember that, right? You know, in the zombie movies, maybe you've heard of it. Anyway, and there's always the person who, who sort of walks them back in off the ledge. We're almost to Jacksonville. We're going to make it. We're almost to Fort Benning. We're, we're going to be safe. Just, just hold on. The book of the prophet Isaiah was written several hundred years before the birth of Jesus. It was written by a Jewish preacher, this man named Isaiah. That's what he was. He was a preacher. And he, um, he writes this book to the nation of Israel. He writes it to his own people. It's, it's, a, it's a letter to the people of God, a sermon really. And it, it sort of breaks into different sections. And, and he's writing this to say, listen, there's some things that are going to happen to you in your future. This is what's going to happen. And this is why it's going to happen. And most of what he tells them is not pretty. It begins, he tells them, by um, all sorts of of international kind of outbreaks. And one of them is going to lead to a nation for the north, Assyria. A a, a military superpower is going to invade the northern part of Israel. They're, They're going to overrun the cities. They're going to take the people and they're going to take them hostage into exile. This is the way you fought wars in the ancient Near East. When you fought a war, you wouldn't just vanquish your opponent's army. You would take and you would round up the population. You would go into cities after you'd eliminated the army. You would move people out of their homes with only the clothes on their back. And you would put them in a camel train and you would take them a thousand miles away. And you would dump them in a ghetto in some faraway country. And say, here, now, now live here. You see, the idea was to avoid guerrilla warfare. You know, you, you, you take all, out all the, the potential uh, candidates for, for fighting back and then you, you move other people into their homes. And it was a great way to kind of take over land and, and to keep your enemy at bay. Isaiah says, guess what, northern part of Israel? Assyria is going to do this to you. They're going to take your biggest cities and destroy them. They're going to vanquish your army and move you into exile. And guess what? It actually happens. In the year 722, Assyria invades the northern part of Israel, destroys the people, takes them into exile. And I feel like Isaiah probably said something like, you know what's coming, right? I told you so. I told you this is what's going to happen. And then he begins to talk about the southern part of Israel. And he says to them, and guess what, southern part of Israel? You're coming up next. A nation called Babylon is going to invade you. They're going to do the very same thing. They're going to destroy your cities. They're going to destroy Jerusalem. They're going to level the temple. They're going to take your people into exile. Guess what happens? Babylon invades the southern part of Israel, destroys the temple, takes people into captivity, into exile. But then after about 40 chapters of this gloom and doom sort of stuff, Isaiah strikes a different note. And he begins to to sound like a different kind of preacher. He says, you know what? It's not always going to be like this. God is going to send His servant, His anointed one. In Hebrew, Mashiach. He's going to send His Messiah. To come and to deliver His people. Don't worry. It's been bad. I know it's been bad. It was part of God's plan. But He's going to save you. The promise of the Messiah is coming. If this were a zombie movie, we're not looking for a city to save us, right? We're not looking for a city of humans. We're looking for someone who's going to take us back. Who's going to restore us. When the Messiah comes, we're going to be saved. But maybe you looked at the text just this morning in Isaiah chapter 64. And if you don't, maybe pull your bulletin out and and, and go there with me. In Isaiah 64, 
He starts to sound like the old Isaiah for a minute, you know. Um, at, at first, he's uh, he's saying, you know, look like things were going to be good; they're going to be happening. But but look how it begins. Chapter sixty-four, verse one: Oh, that you would rend the heavens! Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence. As when fire kindles brushwood, as when fire causes water to boil, to make your name known among your adversaries. The nations might tremble at your presence. Okay, l- let me translate this for you for a moment. God, will you show these people around here that you're stronger than they are? These Babylonians who have been holding us in captivity? Will you show them that you are a mighty God who can do great things? Show them how strong you are. Oh, that you would, that you would make you know, fire come down from heaven like it boils water. That would be great, you know? It, it, wouldn't it be wonderful? You just show how strong you are. Have you ever read the news and and this like got really depressed? I mean, if you're still a person who reads the news like I do, or watch the news, maybe you watch the news and, and you think, my world is this whole is the whole world going crazy? I mean, has everyone turned into a zombie? Has everyone lost their moral compass? Has the world completely fallen to pieces? This is Isaiah. Oh God, that you would that you would just come down and stop this nonsense. That you would save us and deliver us. Because we know, look at verse 5. Look at verse 5 in the text. You welcome those who cheerfully do good, who follow godly ways. Oh, you know, we're the few humans left in a world full of zombies, right? You can almost hear Isaiah saying, you know, thank goodness we're not like all the other people. Only that's not the way that sentence finishes. Look at it. Look at verse 5. But we are not godly. We are constant sinners. So your anger is heavy on us. How can people like us be saved? Isaiah is admitting something, isn't he? It's not like he's part of the moral minority. He's saying, you know, the truth is, God, we're really just like everyone else. We're just like everyone else. We're thoroughly corrupted too. We're all infected for sin and impure with sin. We proudly display our righteous deeds. Look how good we are. <laughs> Hello? Remember us, God? We're not like the rest of the people in the world. Well, that's really not the case, is it? In fact, he says in verse 7, we're not even smart enough to plead for mercy. No one even looks to God. There's no one who calls upon your set name, who rouses himself to, hold, to take hold of you. You know what Isaiah is saying? I, I, I really wanted to look around the world and say, God, would you come down and just do something? Just make a change. Just show how strong you are. You know, vanquish the world of these evil people. Until I get really honest with myself and say, I'm one of them. I'm part of it. So what's your hope? Where then is your hope, Isaiah? Verse 8. And yet you, Lord, you are our Father. There's a good metaphor. Well, why do I have any hope? Because God is my Father. Why do you have any hope? Because God is your Father. In fact, he switches and it goes to a different metaphor. We are the clay. And you are the potter. You know, you spent a lot of time with us, Lord. Molding us and shaping us. Fashioning us into your image. Don't give up on us now. 
I, I think a lot of people think that God's judgment is about like a, like a big scale, you know. Um, well, you know, I haven't murdered anybody, and um, and after all, I've done a few good things. You know, I I gave some change in the Salvation Army kettle pot the other day, and um, you know, if I if I look, it's kind of a balancing act, and and that's not really the way it works at all, is it? Um, I, I love when I when I'm out somewhere and I I get kind of paired up with somebody as a, a stranger who doesn't know me. It, it's it's so hilarious. Like I used to golf. I don't golf anymore because my kids take all my time and money. But I used to golf way back when I was, you know, younger. And um, and I would go out and, and I would always, you know, if I would be myself or with one other guy, we'd get put in this uh, other twosome so there'd be a foursome. And, and I'd be golfing with some complete stranger. And it would always be that guy who's failed his um, anger management classes. You know that guy, right? And so he's like throwing clubs and swearing. And, and I learn all kinds of new cuss words. And, uh, and, and he's out there just going crazy. And, and, and then um, about halfway through, you know, maybe at the turn, he'll say, So, Joe, what do you do for a living? <laughs> it's great, yeah. I savor that moment for a good long time. And, and I say, Oh, I'm a clergyman. Oh, well, you know, you see, I don't usually use those words as I've had a really tough time at work and, you know, the, the wife and the kids and, you know, and, and, and I'll, no, 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 you know. Like I'm going to tell my boss on him or something, you know, that's what, it, what it's sort of like. God is not surprised by our sin, nor is he impressed by our righteousness. And we should not be pleading for a Messiah who comes to deliver justice. Because if we do, we're not going to be happy with what we get. What we need is a Messiah who comes to bring mercy. Who doesn't give us what we deserve, but gives us a way out. There's a story of this um, this preacher who was in front of a, a, a church and he was preaching and he, he pulls out a $100 bill and he says, who here would like this $100 bill? And um, and all the hands went up, you know, but, oh, I'll take it, yeah, I'll take it. And so he, he takes, he says, really? And, and he crumbles it up into a little ball, you know, and, and he says, all right, now who wants this $100 bill? People look at each other and they're like, oh, yeah, I'll take that, you know, and all the hands went back up. So he throws it down on the ground and he, he steps on it a few times and muddies it up and dirties it up at the bottom of his shoe and picks it up. He says, now who wants this $100 bill? And everyone said, I'll take it. All the hands went back up again. And he said to them, you see, friends, we learned something. Just because this dollar bill has been crumbled up and dirtied and muddied, it doesn't make it any less valuable. And even though we're crumbled up and dirtied, it doesn't make us any less valuable to God. He still wants us, just like you still want this. The only reason, the only reason we can plead for the mercy of God is because we bear His image. We're created in His likeness. And that's why Isaiah says in the last verse of this passage, Don't be so angry with us, Lord. Please don't remember our sins forever. Look at us, we pray, and see that we are your people. That's why we have hope. Amen.